Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Cartel Aristocrats. Man, I was like so in the zone, I was about to say Brainstorm Brewery. Uh, this week, Jeremy is on vacation, but we're back. Ed and I are here to bring you um, some more Magic Finance podcast talk stuff. But we have a special guest, uh, someone who has more hair than Jeremy and probably better jokes. Uh, you probably know him if you listen to Brainstorm Brewery. Jason, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, I'm what's considered a strict upgrade over Jeremy this week. I mean, everyone, everyone got upgraded, really. This is true. This is true. Uh, as always, we'd like to thank our sponsor, CoolStuffInc.com, for sponsoring this podcast. Uh, you can get shipping on orders of $100 or more, and you get a $25 buy list bonus. So CoolStuffInc is the best place to go for all your Magic the Gathering needs. So we took a week off. Um, not a whole lot happened because it was the holidays, but uh, there definitely are some some cards that are moving as we expected. Um, Christmas is the time where people get a lot of money, kind of just like tax season, where you don't buy, you don't buy, you don't buy, you don't buy, and then boom, you have a bunch of money and people start buying cards again. So uh, Ed, is there anything in particular that you've seen that has started to move or like that you should keep an eye on? Um, I think just kind of generally, I've just been watching kind of modern staples, seeing where they fall as a whole. Um, I definitely talked about it in the last episode. Um, there's it like right now, like it's obviously kind of quiet. Uh, just kind of allegiance already, which was a bit of a surprise. Um, especially since it sounds like they basically did their uh set mechanics and then they randomly spoiled absorb yesterday and then they're kind of quiet on spoilers until the second after new year i believe um so standard obviously is kind of uh there will always be some things that shift uh we know the mechanics we obviously saw some sweet cards get spoiled but beyond that it's kind of just a wait and see type thing with standard uh a lot of the cards have already like that people are speculating Azorius, Gruel, the new guilds are starting to get expensive. Angreth is apparently already at over $10 on TCG player, which is a bit of a surprise since two weeks ago it was like in the 5 to $6 range. Well, two weeks ago it was trending up, though. It, it was trending up. It's constantly been trending up, and obviously the cheaper ones just keep getting bought out. So we're just looking at like a steady like $10 for that card. Um, beyond that, I think... Um, Ultimate Masters has also kind of been something I've been keeping an eye on. Um, a lot of the cards certainly have bottomed out. A lot, of, most of them are pretty stable. I do expect to see a bit more supply get injected into uh, Ultimate Masters, probably as people are getting you know their boxes for Christmas or whatever, um, and they're just opening them up. Uh, so I imagine that prices will probably stay this way for a little bit, especially because we have Grand Prix Vancouver this weekend, which is Ultimate Master Sealed, and then Magic Fest Prague in two weekends. Um, after that, I imagine we'll probably start seeing prices on these start to slowly tick up as that's kind of past the point where people are really caring about Ultimate Masters. People are probably all in on Ravnica Allegiance at that point. Um, but beyond that, like, like you said, it's been a relatively quiet week. Not much has been going on in terms of like anything like really spiking or cratering in value. Jason, is there anything you wanted to add to that? No, or I would have interrupted him, right? Like, <laughs> well, on this podcast, we generally wait for other people to finish talking. But yeah, and that's because you're on Google Hangouts, and if you talk over each other, you can't hear each other. Yeah, I, I understand. Well, you can pretend it's because you're polite. That's fine. Um, I mean, it's just mostly just to keep Jeremy in check so he doesn't like start throwing puns in the middle of our 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 thought processes because then we just get derailed very quick. Yeah, I mean, nothing Ed said was wrong. Um, I think there's a little bit of EDH speculation going on, but for the most part, that doesn't happen. The reason I like EDH finance so much is because people do stuff and they talk about it. And then three weeks later, they buy the cards. So we can really just kind of wait on their on that stuff. There's really no point in buying in early. But um, I think some of the stuff is that's bad has already started to go. 
Like, I think um, everyone's like, hey, man, look at all the dumb stuff you can do with Lavinia. And I don't think that deck will get made, but I think some of the meme cards, like uh, Knowledge Pool and maybe, um, I don't know, like Eye of the Storm, Omen Machine, that kind of stuff. Some of the stuff is kind of low supply and it'll probably never be a bulk rare again. Um, I, I think a lot of that stuff goes up and probably doesn't go back down, but like, I don't think it's good. And I don't think the... I don't think you'll be able to sell it if you buy now. Like the price will theoretically go up, but I don't. I don't know who you're going to be selling to in two weeks when everyone's like, "Oh, this card is bad and the deck's bad." So I would just kind of hold. I would see what gets built. I think you can say, "Hey, Simica Senate is going to do some stuff." That's like the most powerful card I think in EDH that they've uh, spoiled so far. But it's also not as good as everybody thinks. Um, people are like, "Ah, oh, this is bannable," but like as DJ's fine saying, it's about as powerful as Miles Aria. Like, if you're in Simic, you can just as easily win with Helix Pinnacle as you can with Simic Ascendancy. Maybe easier. So, I don't know. We got uh, Emergency Powers. That's pretty cool. But, I mean, for the most part, I think we just need to, to wait. I think the the most played card that's spoiled so far will probably end up being Growth Spiral. Um, but I like Afterlife as a mechanic. Because I think if you get an Afterlife 4 or 5, you're going to end up with something like when you have a Phyrexian Altar, you could turn that into a, a real good um, Sprouting Thranex type deal where you get six man out of a creature and you can just recycle it pretty easily in those colors. So I would love to see people do that kind of Tesa stuff, Tesa Ors of Scion. So that's the kind of stuff I'm looking at. I'm looking at older decks that could get new cards and could get rebuilt. Um, but I'm really not buying anything right now. I think... Uh, I think with EDH Finance, you can just wait. But I think I would also pay attention to what people are talking about. And, and for people that aren't familiar with EDH Finance, it's kind of weird going to weird sources. So I would recommend an EDH rec and tapped out just to see what people who are actually building bad decks are talking about. Google the name of the commander, and usually the deck will be one of the first results. Um, so I don't know. Again, we hold for now, but it, it is good to pay attention to what people are doing. And I do have a pick of the week based on something I think is going to pop. Okay, cool. Um, so do you guys want to talk about the spoilers that we've got so far? Like, how do you think that this is going to shake out? Uh, I'm personally very excited for the Gruel guy that got spoiled, the three mana, three, three, that gives you, I think, hexproof during your turn. And it has hexproof on your turn. Like, that guy just seems... It, it, it's very obviously a card that was made to counteract um, Saddle the Wreckage, which will give more people play in their aggro decks. But, you know, it's it's a new card, and you can't really, like, buy in early on that. Are there other cards that maybe we were not looking at uh, as closely that could be uh, things to consider? I don't know how good Pelt Collector is in the Gruel deck, but I think people are talking about that for a Simic deck. As far as the, the Gruel stuff, um, I kind of think Chain Whirler might be dead, but I'm thinking if uh, if Afterlife is as good as I think it could be in Standard, Chain Whirler might get a second look. So I think that, that puts you in definitely a two-color deck. I don't think you're playing some sort of Jund color deck with Chain Whirler, but you might. Um, I don't know standard decks. Like, what do you like, Jim? Uh, I mean, I definitely those were those were two cards that were on my radar. Uh, Pelt Collector. Well, it, it, we really need more Simic cards to see what how how much they care about plus one plus one counters. But Pelt Collector is definitely like one of the most aggressive one drop creatures that you can play uh, because the rule creatures can have plus one plus one counters put onto them. It gives you a natural synergy with. Uh, the Simic stuff, so if there are cards that care about plus one, plus one counters on all of your guys uh, or some of your guys, then those types of cards will be quite good. Um, personally, I'm just looking at the lands. I know I've said this before, but you know, Sulphur Falls and Clifftop Retreat are like twice as much money as all the other uh, check lands. There's no reason that they're all going to stay like a $2, right? Like, Hinterland Harbor, uh, Isolated Chapel, uh, Rootbound. Well, those are those are up. I looked today because I was trying to buy stuff locally. I was picking up Hinterland Harbor and Isolated Chapels for like two bucks because that's what TCG, like the low end of TCG mid, was like two bucks on Harbor and Chapel, and that those are up to like it's now three fifty four bucks on those. So those have moved a little, 
but um, I, I, they're not done. Like if there's a good Simic deck or a good Orzov deck, like those are $8 lands. I agree. That's like the thing that I see like the most, the thing that, that, that gets me the most is like, these are things that are for sure going to be played, right? Like if your deck has Godless Shrine, it's also going to play Isolated Chapel. There's like no reason that they're not going to play both of them. So this seems like the easiest way to save money. Even if you buy them now, like think Isolated Chapel is 380 on TCG Player. Even if you buy this and it becomes $5 and you, you really can't sell it for a profit at that point, like after fees and all that. But if you're a player, there's no reason to wait. You just saved yourself like a dollar or two on each copy that you we got a free buy. You got a free copy, basically. Yeah, that's yeah. You pay for pay for three and get four. So that's that's the thing I'm looking at, um, especially like I've talked about it previously. Like the the gold creatures from Rivals of Ixalan, the Planeswalkers, just like anything from Ixalan that looks like it might be remotely interesting. You know, uh, Kumena cares about plus one plus one counters, and the Simic guys all care about plus one plus one counters, and the Simic on Ravnica have Merfolk in their guild, so like there's possibility that there's something going on there that helps bring the Merfolk deck up and care about plus one plus one counters. I don't know. There's just I, not I that think, many spoilers uh, yet. Yeah. I think uh I think people are already just on speculation that they'll want to build the deck. Like players are built are buying stuff like Jade Light Ranger. So some of the stuff that was already pretty good, like Jade Light Ranger could be a fifteen dollar card if like the the Golgari deck keeps running it, and then it has some additional utility. So stuff like that could pop another fifty percent just on the basis of two decks fighting over it. I agree. I agree. Ed, you're awfully quiet. Is there anything else you want to add? Or is there anything that you noticed or you want to talk about? No, nope. I think that pretty much kind of hits on the spot. Uh, I, th I think one thing that is interesting that you just uh, that you just said is anything that has like overlap. So it's possible there are things that like don't have homes yet. Um, like what could you play in like a gruel deck? Like what exists in like red or green or is red and green um, already that that like might pop, for example, right? Like there's like some very, very good contenders. Like Nullhide Ferox is one of those cards where it's like a big dumb finisher. Golgari doesn't really have a use for it. There's probably like slightly better ways to fight control, but Nullhide Ferox was one of those cards that had previously started pretty high. Um, and like now it's like, I imagine it, we're at the bottom on that card. Um, cause I believe with the way, uh, wizards has designed the new blocks, we're basically no longer going to be drafting guilds of Ravnica. It's going to be triple, uh, Ravnica allegiance from here on out. Um, so that probably is going to clamp down pretty hard on realistically how many more copies of, um, like guilds of Ravnica cards, like can get out there. Um, and like Nullhead Verox, it's a $2 card. It seems like a relatively low gamble. It's unlikely that like we'll get to the point where we're playing four of these in a deck, but it's a relatively low risk card. Um, like those are types of cards that I think are like worth looking at. Uh, a lot of like the multicolored cards have gone up, like Hadana's Climb in anticipation and working with Simic, like that uh, saw a bit of a jump earlier, earlier this week. So people should pull those out bulk if they haven't already. Um, Beyond that, uh, I think you guys basically hit like the point with standard cards pretty much on the head. I'm going to have to start being increasingly um, controversial. So you'll have something to contribute, if only just to contradict me. All right, so then let's talk about this. How, how do you feel modern staples will do if standard continues to be good? Do you, do you think that people are spending... Like, do you think there's a zero sum of, of the amount of money that people spend on modern cards and the money amount of money people spend on standard cards that if standard is good, they will spend more on standard and less on modern, which will affect card prices? I don't think it goes both ways. I think if standard is bad, people will play less magic in general. So it's not like I don't think a bad standard will make people run to modern because modern is better than a bad standard. I think a good standard will make people play more magic and a bad standard will make people play less magic. So I think a good standard actually helps modern. So I, I that's that's my personal feeling on it because I I feel like if people get bummed out, they just don't want to buy new stuff. And even if they're playing modern, they're just keeping their old decks together. 
And I think uh, if standard's good, that means good cards are coming out. And good cards usually are good enough that a card or two ends up in modern. So if people innovate in modern, sometimes they're building an entirely new deck, and that'll sell more cards. So I think a good standard it means a good modern, somewhat counterintuitively. Do you agree with that, Ed? Uh, I think that's probably fairly long lines of what I want to think generally as a whole because it's the community is, is somewhat tight-knit and there's you kind of have the same sentiment kind of like flowing across the board. I think Jason kind of sums up best with as long as if standard is good and people are wanting to play Magic, that probably helps Modern as a whole. There's not a ton of players in my experience that only play standard or only play modern generally you have like constructed types most people are willing to um dabble multiple formats if you've been a long time player kind of like the ebb and flow of like standard is nothing new to you and you probably already own a modern deck um and i think kind of with the ultimate masters uh coming out and kind of giving a way to kind of get staples in the hands of uh, modern players or people who only play standard who might be looking to get into modern. This is probably not a bad place to be. And basically, as long as people are like excited about magic and there's like new things happening, which there's definitely been no shortage of, like basically in this quarter four, um, I it, it wouldn't surprise me if like just there's just more magic happening everywhere, basically. And I think that was kind of like reflected on what Star City announced yesterday that they're kind of changing the some of their um, some of their uh, Star City opens um, are being changed to standard to kind of accommodate like people that the kind of the general sentiment that hey standard is in a good spot right now and people won't be playing standard. Yeah, I. I... I have some of the same ideas, but I, th I think that when standard is good, people buy less modern. Um, at least personally, I've, I've found it that like when, when standard is boring or standard is old or when it's about to rotate and people are not as excited for it anymore, they look for different things to play and different things to buy. Um, this was most evident to me when I worked at a card store and uh, the employees were the, were the, at the whims of like how good standard was. If standard was good, if the draft set was good, they would do that all the time. But if it wasn't, or if it was stale, or if it was about to rotate, they would go play another another card game. Um, although not necessarily for a very long time. Uh, the, the same kind of thing happened with modern, where people were like, "Standard is awful. I'm just going to play modern instead because it's just more fun." And now, because of how fun standard is, people, I, I've. This is obviously like not necessarily like this is just uh anecdotal evidence i should say it's not like hard evidence to suggest that people will play one or the other but not not generally not both uh at the same time so i i, I think that it's possible that modern cards if standard is good for like another whole year we'll say uh might see some dips in the less uh played decks but I'm not, I'm not sure that this is a thing that we need to worry about yet. I was just curious to see what your guys' thoughts were. Just trying to find something uh, divisive to, to bring up. Well, I also think people playing less modern doesn't make them sell their modern cards that much, but people playing more modern would make them buy more. So like, right. I think the, the effects aren't equal in either direction also. That's true. So we're more likely to see cards stagnate rather than continue to grow. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Okay. Um, so what are your guys' plans for next year? What what are you excited to see? What are you hoping happens? And how is that going to impact your decisions to buy and sell cards next year? Because uh, I, the reason I bring this up is Mark Rosewater put out a post recently that said that, like, He's the most excited for 2019 that he's ever been for any year of Magic. And while it doesn't really say a whole lot, I was just curious to see, like, what what kind of things are you looking forward to? What do you want to see more of? What do you want to see less of? What do you think they did well this year? What do you think they did poorly? 
I think I would be more excited to have read that if Gavin Verhey had said he was excited for 2019. And he didn't say he's not excited for 2019. I think Gavin said a lot of the stuff in the pipe he's excited about. But I feel like Gavin's sensibilities overlap with mine a little bit. Like Gavin Verhey crawled inside my head and made Battle Bond, which is, for me, a guy who played Two-Headed Giant as his favorite format is an EDH guy and a finance guy. Battle Bond, like, checked every... It's the perfect set for someone like me. Not only did I like playing it, drafting it, buying it, selling it, I like building EDH decks with it. Like, Battle Bond's the perfect set. It was everything they wanted Conspiracy to be and uh, and more. So I think they are going to... I, I think they they took all the good stuff from Conspiracy and then they just improved on it. So I think with Gavin in the position he's in i think the edh product is going to be better next year because it was disappointing this year i think they know how much they can push the product and to to justify the higher msrp which they're going to keep for sure so i i I think next year's edh product is going to be juiced and i think if they don't do another battle bond next year they will do something else that's good so i kind of think the fact that that Everything Gavin said when he came on Brainstorm Brewery, not to plug my own podcast on your podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, but in case you don't listen to both the podcasts, if you listen to one Brainstorm Brewery from 2018, listen to the Gavin interview because he was very candid. They sort of just let they're like, talk about whatever. We we sent him a bunch of questions beforehand. He's like, now you're good. Whatever. I can talk about almost everything. So. I think 2019 is going to be good just because Gavin Verhey-esque products are coming out. And for someone that, that sells the concept of EDH and sells EDH cards to people, it couldn't be better. So uh, I think they realized 2019, 2018's Commander kind of sucked. 2019's will be better. I think they'll do something Battlebond-esque. And I think if Morrow is excited, that means there's going to be high-complexity sets because what else gets him excited if they're not doing another unset? So... Maybe there'll be a high complexity set and that cards in high complexity sets tend to uh, impact EDH more than cards that are uh, sets that are better for standard. Ed, what do you, what are your thoughts about next year? What, what do you think they did well this year? What do they hope that they repeat? Uh, God, um, just kind of reflecting. So to like kind of look back on this year, I thought this year was like a fairly poor year for magic. Um, I think just kind of all the crap that happened over the course of year, um, for lack of a better way to describe it, I think like a lot of things just like did not work this year. Um, I am, I'm still fairly skeptical about what's going to happen. Like just kind of the changes, the competitive play direction, like, uh, like obviously a lot of things like there's. People are excited about a lot of things. Arena is just one of them. Um, but I think there's a lot more than that. Competitive play is definitely in an odd spot. I don't think a lot of people are completely certain kind of the direction that the game is headed. We can talk about how like all the sets, how good they're going to be, etc. A lot of it is not really different than what we've seen with Magic in the past. But it's some of these policy changes across the board that kind of has me worried in the sense that it seems like they're kind of winging it for lack of a better word they're just doing what they can based on how the community is reacting what people are getting upset about what people are enjoying you can definitely kind of see that reflected in the philosophy of how they design magic this year and i think a lot of those decisions were definitely made in in a very very short time span with not a lot of forethought or planning it was just one of those things where they just decided they were going to do something and they liked the idea so much that they didn't really give it very much thought they just kind of went with the original idea and just threw it out there um i am skeptical i despite despite the fact that i always say the sky is falling i actually don't think the sky is falling i just have I think a lot of people just need to be very careful of how deep they want to go, how deep they want to invest. It's definitely getting harder and harder to do this. Um, I see a lot of people who have gone into it this year um, because they try to capitalize on like the reserve list uh, boom cycle that happened 
back in about April or so, they thought that they could get in and make a quick buck on it. And now a lot of those easy outs are kind of going away. And now we're kind of back to the bread and butter, as it were, like for, you know, Jason, be it like sticking with commander cards, casual cards, etc. Or just finding cards that you have to be able to turn quickly on. Well, whatever. Um, I, I, I don't know. I am, again, highly skeptical. It's one of those things where I probably have to think more carefully about what I'm going to do going forward and what the course of action is, mainly because I don't think this year we'll see quite as many freebies happen like we did this like earlier this year with Masterpieces and uh, the Reserve List stuff. So that's just my two cents. Obviously, the sky isn't falling, but I think Reflection is definitely a good place that people should start with before they go too deep, kind of, especially at the beginning of the year when things are a little bit slower than they were. Because once you kind of get into March, April, it definitely felt like uh, during those months this year, things were things were moving pretty fast. And I think a lot of people got kind of caught on that wave and they just didn't really know when to get off. So I find it interesting that you said that this was not, you don't think this was a good year of magic. Is there any way you can elaborate on that? Because like, Looking at the car at the the products that came out this year, like I think most of them are pretty successful. Uh, I I'm not sure like what you mean that like you didn't like it. So to to put it in perspective, this year they did Battle Bond, Commander 2018, Commander Anthology 2, uh, Guilds of Ravnica, Ultimate Masters, Masters 25. The Elves versus Inventors dual deck, the Spellbook Jace, uh, Dominaria Rivals of Ixalan, and Corset 2019. I think most of those sets are pretty good. Um, maybe the Ixalan set is probably the worst of them in terms of like it didn't bring enough to the table at the time, but I think it's going to get some supplementary stuff from. The Ravnica sets to, to to help bring things back to the forefront. What what in particular do you think you didn't you didn't like that Wizards did this year? As far as like products are concerned, not not talking about like organized play stuff because I think that that's just a whole nother mess and uh, for a different maybe podcast to talk about. But what what specifically, or or maybe not just like broad strokes, what do you think that they could have done better as far as like set releases is concerned? I want to say the timing of the product felt particularly poor at times. It just felt that there were just too many things going on. I remember we had talked about on several podcasts where Jeremy was talking about wall fatigue, where it just uh, felt like products were coming out. Just uh, something was released. The paint had just started to dry on it. And then we were already looking at the next thing as it were. Um, it kind of feels that's what's happening right now. Uh, I realize like quarter four is generally a little bit slower on these things. Guilds of Ravnica, the fall set is kind of the the big flag bearer for the year in terms of traditional magic expansions. So we had that for a little while. People were reveling in how good standard was. Arena started to become a bigger and bigger deal for people. And then they just... they more or less dropped Ultimate Masters completely out of the blue. I think it happened, I want to say I was in Grand Prix Atlanta at that time, so that was right before the Pro Tour. That was coming off the debacle of um, Mythic Edition. The people who didn't get it, they were starting to get their first uh, box toppers in the mail from Wizards, and that was when people started to piece together that this was a box topper first set, then they announced Ultimate Masters. So that was mid-November, and then less than a month later, we had it come out. Ultimate Masters has been out for uh, it's the 28th, um, so three weeks at this point. We've had three weeks of Ultimate Masters, and Wizards are already starting to move on to Ravnica Allegiance, of which we already know they're starting to mix things up. Um, I'll only touch on it briefly, but I think that on Reddit, they had talked about the uh, the alternate booster pack they're doing 
I think uh, it was something along the lines of they're testing it in the U.S. market. It was basically going to be a booster pack that had three rares and like 12 uncommons or something. There are no uncommons in that slot and it was going to be a higher MSRP. Um, so like these are like these are the types of changes that I think happened a little bit too quickly. It doesn't seem like they're necessarily giving it much forethought. Uh, and just the, the schedule of release, I think, is going to be a little bit too fast. Because at this point, we know basically nothing of what is going to be released past Ravnica Allegiance, uh, to my understanding. We haven't like had any sort of announcement day. We don't know what's going to happen. But I foresee that they're probably going to drop probably a bunch of things on us in a very, very short time span. And to me, I think that kind of reduces the excitement of each one of these products individually. Uh, mainly because they don't really give themselves enough time to ramp up the product and then they don't really have enough time to review and give stores the chance to kind of bask in the success of the product. Uh, because like like you said, many of the products this year were like very, very, very good. Um, I think like some of the big home runs this year were uh, Dominaria, but again, that was relatively short-lived because they started uh, throwing out stuff for Battle Bond, I think like less than a month after Dominaria was out, if I remember correctly. I want to say that happened Dominator came out at the end, mid to the end of April. Battle Bond started being spoiled sometime in May, and then it was out in full in June. Um, I think like that timeline is one of those things that it ultimately helps buff Hasbro's uh, bottom line. They're definitely making more money from it, but I think as a whole, it's just making it much, much more difficult for uh, someone like me, someone who works as a vendor, to be able to keep up on the product, and then from your average consumer who isn't necessarily ready to be buying product after product after product to be able to absorb it all at once. And I think like that was my qualm because I think it seems like uh, I'll stop my point here. But I'm going on for quite a bit. Um, just the timing of it, I think I've become less and less a fan of of how quickly they're just trying to basically vomit vomit out all the all this product in a relatively short time span in like just burst all at once uh that's something that starts the past few years i think they've internalized the message that not every product is product is for everyone which is fine if you're an edh player that like ignores you know ultimate masters or something like that or whatever you're just like casual player who ignores certain things or your standard player that doesn't need the edh product but if you're a vendor you have to buy everything so for us it felt people were like yeah well that's not for me but like everything is for us if you're buying singles to to resell if you're buying product to bust and sell singles like there isn't a product you can afford to miss you can't give jace's spellbook a miss you have to have that kind of stuff so they're sort of like well we have overlapping markets within the game so we'll just put out a bunch of product because not everything's for everyone but for people like us we do tend to get exhausted because we don't get a break we don't get to ignore anything. So it could be that it just felt more frantic for you because like it literally was, you, you couldn't ignore anything. I think that's the, that's a good summary of like how perspectives differ. I think like, I think this was a very successful year because I got a lot of things that I wanted and there were a lot of things to want. And I didn't necessarily feel like I had to buy everything because there, if I didn't have you know the time or the money or whatever for this product, then there was another one coming not that far along that I could buy instead. But I never thought to consider the fact that like how much different that is for a vendor, since you have to have everything. Because if you don't have everything, then the subsection of people of your uh, you know the subsection of your customers that would want to purchase that will get mad at you and then just maybe not come back. And that's obviously not something you can afford to do. So. I understand from a vendor perspective, maybe this was too many things in a year and it's not something I had considered previously, but I definitely had come to terms with the fact that like, not everything's for me. Um, you know, I don't need to purchase every single thing, even things that like should be for me. I don't necessarily want like the commander anthologies thing. I was just like, whatever, like, I don't, I don't need any of those cards in there. I don't need any of those decks at this point. I pretty much just buy a full set of them every year so that, I have them all anyway. So the anthologies product is just like never a thing that's going to be very um, important to me. But 
as a vendor, you have to now add all these new parts to your inventory. You have to worry about selling sealed product. Do you sell it as a whole? Well, it actually, I guess it comes in a box with all of them, doesn't it? You can't take them apart. Is that correct? What, what was that? Sorry, one more time. Are you uh, the the commander anthology stuff is a box that had all four decks in it, right? Like you couldn't buy a, a single deck individually. No. Okay. Yeah, it's a, it's so, a big set. It was just like the plane chase anthology or whatever. It was a big gift set. It had the uh, the spin downs and it had four boxes, but gotcha. within within a giant box. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So you know, as a player, and 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 you know, I do do magic finance stuff, but like not on the level where like I have to worry about every single set release. Um, it didn't feel so bad for me, uh, mostly because I just got to like look at spoilers, but ooh, look at that. And not have to care about like, oh, where do I put this in my warehouse or how do I like deal with this new product or whatever. So I, I can definitely understand where you're coming from. I think that I don't think that that's going to change. I think that it's too successful at this point to slow down the amount of products that get released. And that sucks for you, I guess, but it's sweet for us. Um, they did say that they're not going to do any more master sets for a while. I'm not sure how long a while is. I'm not sure that that means just like not next year or like not for many years. Um, I think it's pretty clear that this was going to be something called Graveyard Masters. Because it's graveyard themed and like the expansion symbol has the skulls in it. Like I think they're sort of like, well, this year's graveyard masters and next year. And I think they're sort of like, can we just get these box toppers out? Just jam a bunch of stuff that needs a reprint. We were going to spread out over two or three master sets. Maybe do one next year. Cause they did what two this year. Yeah, they did two this year. Are we in the last 18 months? Uh, I don't know what, I don't remember when iconic masters came out. That was the one before. That was last year. That was last November. Yeah, that's a, so that's an awful lot. I, I agree, it is an awful lot, but I don't know. Like at the same time, I feel like there's just not enough master sets. Like, well, they're they're going to do other parts, stuff. Like, they, they're going to do you, guild kits. They're going to do the rivals of Exelon board game. Some of the stuff like you don't need a whole master set just to give us more aggravated assaults. Right, but like. How do you continue to push Noble Hierarch down so that it's not like uh, in, you know an essential fifty dollar card forever? Print it out on common. I don't know. I mean, I, I hear. I think I, it's, just it's, just keep it's doing a rare it. And it's still fifty dollars. Like, well, they, they managed to make Tarmogoyf stop going back up over a hundred. So they, they did, but they to, had to put it in five master sets. I think maybe Hierarch needs to go in five master sets. I mean, that's probably that's probably the case, but. You know, if they're not doing them as often, how many of them are you going to, like, how many of them are you realistically going to make every year? How are you going to put a dent in that? Or maybe maybe the, the objective is not to do that. I don't know. Like, a lot of people were, like, boohooing about, like, how much cheaper um, stuff is going to be in this set because, you know, oh, there's so much, so much uh, expected value. Like, it's got to be great. But then... A lot of these, you know, modern staples that were expensive and are in high demand just rebounded pretty quickly to most of what their previous price was. So, I think the EV was so insane that like you can't lose buying every box you can afford as a financier. So I, I think a lot of that stuff got gobbled up directly by the market as opposed to players complaining they didn't want to spend three hundred bucks on a box and we're like, I opened four hundred dollars worth of stuff and a box topper. Yeah, I'm gonna spend. 250 or whatever on a box right but what i'm saying is like even though there's these people opening these these boxes with the intentions of selling the singles inside it still really hasn't done it it didn't have a long-lasting effect on the price of some of the cards which leads me to believe that it needs another reprint which means that they have to do another master set like they're not going to put they're not going to do like shard color commander decks and put a noble hierarchy on a commander deck right like that i don't think that's like a reasonable thing to expect at this point no so then you get to the point where like how do you how do you continue to reprint these cards that people want that obviously sell without doing another master set? And I don't I don't know. Well how I that think happens. if you could put a Phyrexian altar type card in Commander, which I think is is possible, I think you have a smaller number of cards you need to reprint and they will come up with some other way. Whether it's like a, a spellbook or FTV 
type product versus an entire master set. I think if they did one FTV type thing and one master set type thing for some of that really ridiculous stuff versus doing two master sets a year. Because you have to put a lot of work into a master set because you have to make sure it's not completely unreasonable for limited. You got to do a bunch of commons and uncommons and, and, and junk like that. Like it's a lot of work to make a master set. And if all you're doing is reprinting, controlling the cost of five mythics and then bringing five rares down to below like 50 bucks or whatever and that's all you're doing you're putting a lot of work into it and there's they'll probably they'll come up with another way to to get those reprints versus having to continue to to basically put an entire new set's worth of developers and playtesters and stuff to work on a project that like you said had pretty minimal impact on prices right so I think that the thing that I'm most worried about is like what happens with the modern masters 2017 stuff that hasn't gotten reprinted or the 2015 stuff that hasn't been reprinted. Where does Mox Opal go from here? Where do fetch lands go from here? How impossible are they going to be defined? How do you put them into sets? How do you put them into places? Like how do you reprint them other than like FTV style things? And in which case, like if it is an FTV and there's too much value in it, then you can never find them for MSRP. Is I think why they stopped doing that. That's why they did the spellbook thing. Was just like, oh, we could put like thirty dollars worth of cards in this twenty dollar thing, and like the foils can make them desirable. But I don't even know if that was like necessarily a good a, a good selling product. Do you guys have any insights in like how well people received this? I, I think people kind of hated the spellbook. It was a nice attempt, but I don't. I did. I've never met a person who was happy about it. And the vendors are sort of like, yeah, all these cards are crap. There's only like one desirable foil or two desirable foils, so I it was a, it was a nice attempt. I just didn't think it it hit its mark. But I think they know that, and they'll, they're probably back on the the drawing board. I'm not I'm not even saying that I can predict what they'll invent. I'm just saying that I think they're on it. They're trying stuff, you know. Um, master sets are a lot of work, and I think they're trying to transition out of doing two of them a year, which I think is wise. But they'll they'll figure something else out, and I think they might make a few mistakes along the way. Um, but I think like the stuff like the guild packs and the challenger deck shows they're at least trying. You know, they might do the modern event deck again, where they have an eighty dollar MSRP product. That's you know a two hundred dollar deck, and it's like hey, here you go, go go play modern for eighty bucks. You know that that could be another thing they try. Uh, I'm not really sure what they'll come up with or whether it will work. But I, I kind of think they're going to do something in the spot where they would have had a second master set. Like they're not dumb. They know what the problems are. And even if they don't know what the, the right solution is right away, at least they're not like, Oh, we didn't know that was an issue. Like they, they acknowledge to the extent that they can what the problems are. And the problem is $150 Mox Opal. You know, or, or $30 Manamorphose. Like, those are problems, and they know that. It wouldn't surprise me if, like, they find another avenue for reprints, right? Because clearly they have they have to reprint, right? Like, if Modern's going to die, if a Moth Opal deck becomes the best deck, and, you know, it, it's $600 to buy a, a place out of Moth Opals, or, you know, w there's multiple cards we can discuss our problems. Uh, the you know, we don't. I'm sure someone will talk about a full list in the future. I think Jim had a po a very reasonable post that I think he had put up back in September. I think it was basically outlining the most expensive cards in modern that had a limited number of reprints, or it, it was something to that effect. Uh, you, you can go back and review it. I think if I can find on my on my Twitter, I'll. Uh, I, I, I actually wrote an article about it on coolstuffinc.com. Okay, well, that might be a good place to look at. So there's definitely no shortage of these cards out there. I think this is purely speculation. A reasonable way that they could potentially look at reprinting cards would be very similar to doing treasure chests on Moto, only in real life. Um, to anyone who isn't familiar, for the most part, the way they do prizes on Moto is for going whatever record in leagues you get treasure chests and treasure chests there is a list of cards that can belong inside a treasure chests and then they're they're scaled by rarity 
you have your less desirable cards are generally slightly more common and then the cards that are generally uh, very expensive were at higher rarity. Uh, this was kind of brought to light earlier this year when we had the Nexus of Fate debacle with uh, Pro Tour uh, 25 when there was a lot of concern that Turbo Fog would be the best deck. This was when we saw Nexus of Fate go from like, you know, $15 on release day or whatever to basically 50 because it all disappeared at the Pro Tour and kind of the time, the kind of the week leading up to it. Uh, Wizard Response to basically reprint Nexus of Fate on Magic Online was to increase the drop rate um, in treasure chests. And I think this is a reasonable way for them to kill two birds with one stone, as it were. I think this would be a good way for for them. They So I think, in my mind, if I were to do it, it would be something where they would basically have a list of cards. It doesn't... It avoids a lot of the issues that Jason had mentioned of actually having to design a master set with needing kind of, you know, these interactions, right? You have to print cards like, you know, Faithless Looting is a great card to reprint because it was kind of expensive. Uh, it's definitely playable, right? But then you also have to fill, you have to put like Madness Filler, like Olivia's Dragoon, because you need ways to give, you know, you need discard outlets or whatever. They always, all can't be good. They all can't be super playable or expensive. But you have to design these so that you have a, a set that has some sort of semblance of playability. If you create a set that was, let's say, along the lines of the treasure chest list, you don't need to worry about these card interactions, but you can basically make these prize packs and you can ship them out to, you know, FM, what have you. Like we're talking like two card booster packs, which is not something that's happened in Magic before, but other prize games do them. Yu-Gi-Oh! does. They're called OTS, which is official tournament store. Um, these packs that are basically prize packs, you get them with entry and they contain cards that are rarity shifted. Uh, they look aesthetically different than cards that you could open the packs, but it was kind of a way for Konami to control the reprints on cards that they had identified as problematic. Um, and I think that would be one reasonable way, right? You could make a list of like 60 cards or something. You just have, you know, your 45 through 60 be more common. And then you kind of top out at like mythic rare level cards. That would be like your Tarmogoyas, Liliana's, Moxel, et cetera, that they could weigh. It would simultaneously kind of their organized play agenda of getting people to come to stores, which has been one of those things that they've struggled with for quite some time, or give them out at like these weekend type events like uh draft weekend store championship type things which i realize is going away but it wouldn't surprise me if the, that this is something that they did it's kind of way where they can control the amount that's getting out there because they know if it's something that they were to rotate every quarter for example they can know exactly how many packs are given out roughly the rate of reprints that will be injected into the market and then not have to kind of worry about some of the other details that kind of come tied with having to deal with a master set, for example. See, that's an interesting way to do it, but do the stores have to pay for the promos? Because I feel like that's kind of a waste for them where they just really want to sell cards. They don't want to give them away for free. Uh, so for, for in the case of Konami with the OTS packs, uh, you have to give them away. Uh, most stores give them away with entry, for example. And... Uh, stores are not allowed to buy the singles from, or they're not allowed to buy the packs. They're not allowed to sell the singles, um, which is like th that has kind of its own set of issues. But I, it, I would argue that it's not really any different than stores getting like FNM promos right now or whatever. Sorry, I was not clear. My my question was: Do the stores have to pay Konami for the packs? Uh, I don't believe so. I believe you're allocated a certain amount as a uh, an OTS store. I think. Okay. I I, I didn't I didn't do the Yu-Gi-Oh side when I was Kerwin, so I'm not entirely sure. All I know is like we just regularly got a shipment in of these packs that we were basically uh, forced to give away. Okay, that is that is an interesting way. It, it, it's definitely a thing that we can look maybe forward to seeing next year. Um, so, we've been going on for a bit now. It's everyone's favorite time. It's time for Pick of the Week. 
Ed, since you're so prepared every time, what is your pick this week? Uh, Ultimate Masters Mythics. Uh, they seem to move very, very, very well. You know that there's like 20 of them, right? Yes. Uh, specific. I mean, all of them? No, no, no. Specifically, the casual ones. Uh, a lot of them that have kind of been overdue for re reprints for quite some uh, quite some time. Uh, if you sort uh, Ultimate Masters by Mythic Rarity, and then you sort uh, the set of Mythics by Best Selling, you'll see that Ulamog, Kozlek, and Micaeus are kind of at the top three of those. They're, the prices are more or less the same that they were before. I don't necessarily think that these will... These are the ones that will uh, are the right ones to spec, but it shows that there was definitely a lot of demand for these cards. Um, I think the ones that you would look at are kind of in the next tier below that. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm dying. Um, cards like Mana Vault, uh, Demonic Tutor. Yes, I know that's not Mythic. Bitter Blossom. These all kind of hang out slightly below that. Supply isn't super high on them. And uh, the three cards I just had mentioned, as opposed to the other three mythics, they have the luxury of having alternate art that is much sweeter. Um, a lot, Demonic Tutor is one of those cards that I'm sure most people would want. Most people just don't have the the means because their store might not stock old singles or whatever, or they don't necessarily care for the actual demon in the picture with the old frame. This is people's chance to kind of get a, a frame that probably matches their commander deck. It looks sweet has alternate art. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if as we start moving into January and February, people stop opening Ultimate Masters and a lot of these alternate art type cards that are a little bit more unique, a little bit out there, are would start creeping up in price. And I think like most of these box toppers of those cards, I think are probably prone for a future as well, um, mainly because supply on them is fairly static. Um, and basically only dwindling as a lot of box servers do seem to be moving very well. I think a lot of the cheaper box servers are already starting to creep back up, and I think a lot of the playable ones are probably poised for an uptick in the not-distant future as well, especially if we're looking at the point where your competitive players can start trading in their their Coslex, Micaeuses, uh, what have you, for... They're Liliana's, Tarmogoyfs, etc. So, uh, uh, just Ultimate Masters, I think, is relatively to be. Oh, I don't think there's many cards in that set that you can go wrong with. So, Ed, you just picked the entire set of Ultimate Masters. Is, is, is that my understanding? If I had to pick three, I think it would be Bitter Blossom, uh, Mana Vault, and Demon Tutor as probably the winners, both box toppers and the normal cards. Okay. And both those cards are in the top 50 most played cards on EDH rec for EDH. That's worth pointing out. Like, uh, they're which, not which just ones? casual. Uh, uh, Tudor and uh, Manival. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was most excited about Demonic Tudor in this. I still haven't gotten a box topper one because I've been a little bit lazy, but I might finally get off my ass and buy one. Hey, Ed, do you have any box topper Demonic Tutors? <laughs> no. Damn. Uh, so for Jason, you, no. <laughs> I know. Well, I, I I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't because he sent someone the wrong ones. Slight Actually, slight slight burn here. Uh, I I purchased a box topper Ulamog and Kozilek from Ed, and I got the package, and it was a box topper Kozilek and a regular Ulamog, and I was like, Ed, what happened here? To be fair, it's a foil Ulamog, right? It, it was a pack foil, which. At, like for a minute, Which I was looks looking at identical. Them, but I looked at the two of them and I was like, "Why does this one look so different? What happened here?" And then I had to look at the bottom. I was like, "Oh, this is the pack foil. This is not the one I wanted." I have to tell Ed. But now I have the correct one. Uh, I have actually been losing that and sent the other one back. Sorry, I'll do no, that okay. tomorrow. <laughs> All right. Fair uh, enough. I was, I, was, I was confused where my mail was because I was like, I've had infinite mail and I've been trying to sift through and figure out like, okay, this came from. This person no, who no, I just, I just been, I just been busy and lazy, and I haven't sent it back to you yet. Uh, I'll do that tomorrow. Uh, Jason, do you have pick of the week? Uh, I screwed up. I didn't know how it worked on your podcast, so I, I did what we did on Brainstorm Brewery, and I picked one card. Oh no! Um, it's it's highly encouraged that you pick one card, 
but uh, Ed doesn't play by the rules all the time, so he picked the entire set for some reason. Yeah, like all, all, all the mythic set. What are you, Ryan Bashard? Being like, pick every basic land and Scarshmere. Then come on. Uh, <laughs> my pick's predicated on. Uh, basically, the new mechanic afterlife encouraging people to build Teza or Zav Sion decks. Um, I think that'll be a thing, and I think a good combo with Teza is Darkest Hour, which means you sack three creatures and then you get creatures back because all your creatures are black, and uh, that's fun I to go, do. I had to go look up that card. It's an Darkest it's Hour was... or Teza. No, I, I I vaguely remember what Tesa does. I don't play that many Orzov decks. It's like or, Orzhov. Orzhov? I think it's Orzhov. Is it Orzhov? Oh, man. I've, they said... That's, that's too uh, much. Did you, did you read the... Or not read the... Did you see the YouTube video where they talk about the the mechanic? And it's like... There's like a J in there somewhere that I don't know how to say. But I just go. I just went to look up Darkest Hour. I did not know this is a card that existed. Um... I should probably buy a Saga one because it's Black Border, and uh, yeah. I'm, it's only in Saga and Seventh Edition. I saga think. and Seventh, yep. And they're it's like a it's like a two dollar card. Yeah, um, interesting. Real low supply, and it's real, real high affinity. Like a, a two thirds of the decks, uh, the Tesa decks on EDH Rec, which is under a thousand, but two thirds are running this card because it just combos so well. Um, I, if, if there could be a, a similar mechanic on like a, a similar card, um, like I don't know what Orzov's getting. Um, I don't know what Orzov's getting for mythics. Like I, th I think getting, they've had oh, say, twenty getting... chances to give us good mythics, and they're like, "Well, six planeswalkers." And they're like, "All right," and they're like, "Yeah, fourteen unplayable commanders." So I think. <laughs> I think if we don't get a good commander, but we get a good mechanic, um, people might be like, well, I can just always play Teza. So uh, I think there are a lot of different decks you can build, but I I think if do, people do build old Teza, Darkest Hour is a card that needs to go in those decks, and I think it goes two to five pretty easy. That's uh, a pretty solid plan. Uh, I don't have a need for it at the moment, but I am definitely about to purchase one uh, oh. because it's a card I will probably need in the future. Because uh, it's a very unique effect. That's the kind of thing that I like is is really weird, unique effects that are very good, like that are that are inexpensive. I guess we'll say like mana cost wise, like those are the kinds of things that can be very expensive very quickly. And uh, I feel like I want to own one. I also feel like Tesa is probably going to be the the Orzov like reprint um, commander, like. Kaya is obviously going to become the guild leader, but she's a ghost assassin. So, like, I feel like if she could kill Rago, she could probably she could kill, kill Obsidet. Yeah, yeah, I feel like I feel like that's what happened there. So then we'll just get Tesa as like the the rare legendary creature. Well, what happened to Tesa? I was I don't care about the lore at all. Which like in situations like this, I'm like I read something that Tesa tried to overthrow somebody with Tajik's help and it failed and she got like locked up or something. I don't know, man, there's lore people screaming at their computers right now, but like, uh, I, she, she's not ruled out. Like some of the people I'm like, is this going to be back? And everyone's like, no dude, spear is assassin's trophy. I'm like, Oh yeah. So, um, I don't know if Tasa's ruled out. She might, I don't think she was killed. So yeah, it could be Tasa and, uh, and Kaya. Yeah. I, I don't, that. I don't, I don't know either. I haven't, I mean, it could just be a new person because, like, we didn't get any of the old Golgari people back. So anything is possible. Um, but yeah, I think Darkest Hour is a pretty good, pretty good pickup. Uh, I had a pick of the week, and now I forgot what it was. So I'm going to try to remember. What Pro tip: was... just have it open in a tab. Yeah, I see. The problem That's is, I, I think I, I, think I, I closed forget. it, which was a problem because it definitely was open. And now it's not. Oh, no. Yeah, basically. Um, Would you like me to stall while you try to figure it out? No, I'm just going to talk about nothing while I try to figure it out, which is that not That seems helping. like a worse, because you're splitting your brain power between... You, oh, you, you assume that I don't have enough to do both things, which is probably correct. 
However, well, remember I, that one time you I forgot remember, your no, pick no, of the week? But but I remembered it because I happened to scroll over the card. Uh, so my pick this week is G Light Ranger. Uh, it's pretty expensive because it's very good in standard right now. It's like $8, I think. But it's really good in Gruul, and it's really good in Simic. And those decks both look to be in the beatdown type of deck. So uh, what what really stood out to me, and the reason why I think this card is going to be swingy and good and going to be expensive, is um, Andrew... What is his name? Andrew Brown. Uh, posted about the Gruul Spellbreaker and how it's it's similar. It's a, it's, a, it's a card that fits in the similar style of deck as GLA Ranger, but it's not always the kind of cards you want to play every week. Like, when you expect people to play more Settle the Wreckage, you want more of this guy. When you're play, playing against people playing more Cleansing Nova, you want more Jade Light Rangers. It feels to me like there's going to be a lot of cards that are interchangeable in decks, and this is the kind of card that's going to be in a large variety of decks. It has a lot of overlap because of how powerful it is at grinding your opponents out. So I think that uh, I think that G Light Ranger has some more room to grow, despite it all already being the most expensive rare in Rivals of Ixalan. I mean, I I obviously agree. Is it obvious? Because like, if you don't say it, then I, nobody knows. No, I mean, I obviously agree because I made that point at the top of the podcast. This is true. This is true. So, <laughs> so like, I'm not going to disagree with you now. I mean, you could, but that would just be weird. You know what? I've In the last 45 minutes, my views have evolved on Jade Light Ranger, and I no longer think it's a buy-in at 9. Okay. Or 8, or whatever it is. There we go. All right. Well, uh, this is a little bit of an all-over-the-place podcast because... Uh, not a lot's going on in the magic finance world. We don't have too many spoilers to talk about. We don't have a new set coming out. You know, I know Ed is probably very excited and very pleased with the fact that there is no set out right now and that the next set is still more around the corner than it usually is. So, uh, let's wrap this all up by finding, you know, telling everyone where you can find you. So, Ed, where can people find you? I'm at Edwin13 on Twitter. I will be in Vancouver this weekend, and then I will be in Oakland next week to start off the new year. Awesome. Jason, where can people find you? I'm Jason E. Alt on Twitter. Uh, I write for CoolStuffInc.com, where I write the 75% EDH column. Um, I write for MTGPrice.com. I'm the content manager on edhrack.com, and uh, is that it? Is that all I do? That's it? Yeah. I'm not that busy. So well, I just do those things. I'm, I'm on Twitter a lot. You you also shitpost on Reddit, because I find you in hockey threads randomly. Yeah, I shitpost on Reddit. That's a good point. Um, I uh, should be teaching my daughter to read, but instead I'm on my phone a lot of the day while she raises herself. So I have a very easy job. And then at night, I list magic cards for sale and tell jokes. So that's it. That's that's where you can find me. Just all of, just just find me on Twitter. I mean, I don't know what else to tell you. That seems very inclusive. More, uh, my importantly, name is, before you start, more importantly, how close are you to getting enough on the Patreon to get a Brainstorm Brewery tattoo? Oh, we are... We need, like, another 3K. It's, it's not going to happen. So then again, like I said we wouldn't get podcast, to 500. Oh, yeah. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash brainstorm brewery because we'll, it'll support all of us if Jason has to get a brainstorm brewery tramp stamp. I look, man, I don't I don't think I'm gonna get a tramp stamp unless but there's there is an amount of money our Patreon could hit where I would get a tramp stamp. I'm not even gonna say no. You guys heard it here first. Yeah, if you support Jason, he'll get a tramp stamp. He said it. He said it here. I mean, I changed into Guy Fieri for a whole month for five hundred bucks. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think a tattoo is reasonable for five k. So, so the thing about Guy Fieri is like, I thought he was like an unreasonable person and mostly a meme. And then I like, I saw all the like outreach community outreach stuff that he does, and like, I went to one of his restaurants and it was actually quite good. And now I don't understand, like, if just people just make fun of the way he looks, like, he seems yeah. like a reasonable person. Did you see the Shane Torres bit? I did not. 
that's something for your show notes. Yeah, Google Shane Torres Guy Fieri. It's a it's a bit he doesn't do anymore, but like he basically does a good five minute defense of Guy Fieri and about how people should probably hate Anthony Bourdain instead, which hasn't aged well. Oh yeah, I can see why. Probably because he's from New Jersey. We'll leave it at that. You make fun of Bourdain. No, 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 Guy Fieri. Guy oh, Fieri. okay. I was gonna say because the the bit has not aged because of Anthony Bourdain, not because of Guy Fieri. Anyway, um, so to wrap it all up, my name is Jim Casal. You can find me on Twitter at p h r o s t underscore. You can find me on this lovely podcast usually every week or every other ish week, depending on when uh, Jeremy and Ed are available. Uh, you can find my articles on CoolStuffInc.com, and you can find me in the very miserable state of Florida where I continue to exist, and I don't know why. Thanks for joining us this week, and I we hope to talk to you next week, so have a good day, night, whenever you're listening to this. <laughs>